Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, uh, we are back in Acts, and uh, I'm going to do a short review here before we get too far into this, but uh, I'm also going to pray for just a second here, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for all that are here this morning. I ask now that you would fill me up with your spirit, that as I preach your word, God, that you would deliver it to the hearts that are in this room. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I used to get really discouraged when it was low in numbers like this, but you know what I've learned? This means that God brought you here. This must be for you, right? There must be something in here for you. If you're the ones that are here, and so I honestly, I don't get as discouraged at all like I used to. I used to see low numbers and be like, oh, man. And I, I will say, when it's full, it, it energizes me a little bit. I love having a nice, big, full room. It, it makes it easier to talk. But uh, at the same time, I, I sit here and I go, okay, God, I know who you brought here today for whatever this is. Okay? All right, so let's review real quick. And I want to go to a map and just kind of remind you where we're at. Um, I don't have my laser pointer up here, but... Uh, we're in Paul's second missionary journey. So if you're looking at the map, he started way down over here to the right. Uh, Jerusalem went back up to Antioch. That's his sending church. He took off. He went up and around and through Antioch. And you may remember that after he left the Antioch up in Galatia, do you see that up there? Uh, Antioch up in Galatia. Um, after he left that particular place, he wanted to go a couple different areas and God was shutting the door. Does anybody remember that? So uh, he's uh, headed up through there, and God kind of steers him off, and he ends up over in Greece. There was this Macedonian call. I don't know if anybody remembers that when we were studying that part in Acts. Made it to Philippi, up and down and around through Berea, uh, Athens, Corinth. And uh, we just uh, had him setting sail again, and he's going to head to Ephesus. Uh, Chapter 18 of Acts ended with uh, Apollos in the city of Corinth, And now we're going to read in chapter 19 where Paul is at when he's headed to Ephesus, okay? Now, there's one more other little reminder, something I need to tell you guys about, um, and it comes from one of the Gospels, because this guy is going to come up, and it's John the Baptist, and I want to read Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, okay? So this is before Jesus' time. There's this John the Baptist. He's declaring the way, preparing the path for the Lord, and uh, this, this particular passage says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And then we have this quote. Now this is actually Jesus speaking, quoting John the Baptist. Okay? And it's saying here, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is a summary right, of John the Baptist's preaching. Nice little summary. Repent. Turn around. This is actually not the first prophet who's come and had their message summarized this way. Many of the Old Testament prophets, that's how their message was summarized. Even Jesus himself, his message was sometimes summarized as repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now, keep that in mind. Uh, John the Baptist had a lot of disciples, a lot of followers, but he was only pointing the way to the one who would come after. He always referenced Jesus. And this is going to be important in Acts chapter 19 because we're like 20 years later after John the Baptist and we're going to meet in Ephesus some of John the Baptist's disciples. Which if you think about that, that's pretty amazing. 20 years later, different continent. John the Baptist had such an impact that there were still disciples. In fact, Apollos down in Alexandria in Egypt was one of the John, John the Baptist's disciples at some point. So this teaching that he had spread even before Christ came. 
So here we are. Now we're going to jump into Acts chapter 19. Okay? And it says this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, okay, so Luke has given us some time reference here. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now, I always get a little nostalgic when the word Ephesus comes up because if you guys have been at Edgewood for a long time, you know that one of the first sermon series that we did when I first came was through the book of Ephesians. Anybody in here remember that? There's a few of you that have been here that long. Um, that was uh, an important passage, I think, for our church as we study this. Well, here we're getting to see this kind of like a time jump back and we're seeing Paul come into the city of Ephesus for the first time. And there it says he found some disciples. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't tell us much about these disciples. How did he know that they were disciples? We could put little quotes around them. Um, Alistair Begg, anybody ever heard of Alistair Begg? He's uh, on the radio, preacher on the radio. He, he calls these disciples, we're going to find out there's 12 of them, about 12 of them. He calls them 12 almost Christians. That's what he, how he refers to them. So that in some way they've re- referenced themselves as disciples, whether they told Paul that or that's just what they're going by. But Paul finds some reason to investigate a little bit further. Let's check this out a little bit. Let's, let's do a little bit of, of digging here. And so he asks them a question. He says this, and he said to them, and this question just sent me for a loop yesterday and today. This is a very interesting question, a very interesting way to phrase it. So he's investigating their Christianity. He's examining them. And what does he say? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we'll get to their answer in just a second, because their answer is basically, never heard of them, (laughs) right? Who? Holy who? What? (laughs) You know, uh, what are you talking about? We'll talk about that in just a second, but let's go back to this question. Did you receive? Now, I might, if I met somebody that said they were a Christian, I might say, oh, have you believed? Or, Or what have you believed? Or am I asked some other doctrinal questions? But Paul's question, that's not what he asks. He has something very different. And it's interesting because this question really digs down to not just their belief, because it addresses their belief. What do they believe? Right? Because it's, it's a question, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? But he's questioning something experiential in them. And an interesting question to ask. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? I think this is also an interesting way to really question what sort of belief they had. What, it, what do you mean when you say believe? And so he asked this question, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? An amazing way, I think, of asking and digging deep to find out what was going on here. Their response, no, never heard of him, right? Uh, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul then, he says, oh, well, that's interesting. So he digs a little bit deeper. He says, well, then... And to what then were you baptized, okay? And don't get overly technical and go, okay, baptize, what's going on? Okay, so they, they had declared themselves followers. That was just a way of declaring yourself a follower of something. And so Paul's like, hey, what, what were you baptized into then? What, what, what was your thing, right? Um, they said it was into John's baptism. And that's amazing as well because, okay, here we are. Like I said, a continent away, 20 years later, and this John the Baptist who we, we hear described as, I mean, he was out in the wilderness. He was eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, this guy was rough. I mean, he's wearing like, you know, rough clothes. I mean, this is not, I mean, this would be like if uh, redneck Bob, Bobby Jim was out preaching the word out in the, you know, 
country of Georgetown. And uh, then we found out later there's somebody over in uh, Europe in France going, yeah, I'm one of that guy's. What? I mean, that's what it would be like. And here we have this going on. And so we find out, hey, it was John's baptism. Now we know the summary of John's teaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is not to mean that John never talked about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want to quote another passage. Matthew 3.11 says this. This is John the Baptist talking and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So so somewhere in the transition from over here in uh, Galilee, making it all the way up here to uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, that, that element got lost because these followers didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. But clearly John the Baptist taught that there is a person who's coming, this this one after him that's coming. There's somebody coming. And his baptism isn't just going to be this physical, outward thing. It's going to be with the Spirit of God. That's coming. Well, these guys hadn't caught that particular part. So Paul decides to fill in a missing gap. As Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. They would have known this part telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. There's one coming after. I I think that probably they knew this part. Because then Paul takes this one little step further, and he says this. The one who was to come after him, now we know who it is, basically, it is Jesus. But he's filling in these little gaps. Very similar to what Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos in Corinth, filling in some gaps some lack, but these guys are lacking quite a bit more, and Paul fills it in right here with this key, Jesus. It's Jesus. The fullness of the picture comes in for these guys. I think probably there was some other additional teaching that was going on, but this is the core of what he brought to these 12 disciples. On hearing this, and I think wrapped up in this hearing, there's some a different sort of belief that happens. There's a genuine belief that happens right at this moment. It doesn't say that. I don't know. Something happened here. They hear, all they do is they hear this, and they're like, huh. what happens? They want to get baptized again. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And then it says there's a little footnote. There was about 12 men in all. I know that in our heads we start thinking, well, what's the significance of that? Twelve disciples, huh? There's no significance. Um, just interesting. Interesting little side note. But they get rebaptized. Paul lays his hands in them. They receive the Spirit. Tony Meredith, one of my favorite commentaries on Acts, in talking about this passage, says this. He says, often religious people, like these disciples, are unconverted people. One need only look at popular cults. And so he gives an example. Popular cults like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, to find examples of what I mean. Religious people, if you have met some people that, that follow these different beliefs, they seem very religious people. He goes on to say this. Those who often attend Christian religious events but can't articulate the basic truths of the gospel and who give no signs of regeneration also serve as examples. This is why we must explain the true gospel to even religious types. They too are in need of salvation. This got me thinking. 
Uh, you guys have heard my story from time to time. I've shared with you little tidbits of it. I grew up in church. I heard the preaching of the word. But it wasn't until I was much older, I think it was about 21 years old, in 1992, um, I was reading the scripture and I realized, man, I'm not, I'm not saved. If you would have asked me just even months before that, are you saved, are you a believer, are you a disciple, I would have been like, absolutely. Let me share another story with you. Anybody in here ever heard of John Wesley? Maybe the name, uh, right, founder of Methodism, right? I mean, that's, that's where we get his, uh, his name, John and Charles Wesley. Uh, we have some hymns that were written by uh, the two bro- those two brothers. John Wesley was the son of a minister, uh, son of a godly mother, Susanna Wesley. And if you know anything about the history of the Wesleys, you know there's a lot of writings of Susanna Wesley. I mean, she was a godly mom. John Wesley attended Oxford University. Uh, he became a double professor of Greek and logic at Lincoln College. He served as an assistant to his, with his dad as, as an assistant pastor to the church that he was part of. He was ordained by the church, so he was an ordained minister. He was was a member of, and this sounds silly to us, but he was a member of what uh, this little group, they called themselves the Holy Club. Sounds kind of pompous to me, but that wasn't the purpose. But their goal was to, uh, they were dedicated to wholeheartedly pursuing, pursuing godliness. He became a missionary, and this is back in the 1700s, and he became a missionary to, uh, from England to Georgia, actually, to minister to the Native American Indians in Georgia. After failing in that work, it didn't succeed. He was going to return to England, and he wrote at one point, he says, I went to America to convert Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? That's interesting, isn't it? And think of all the things that he had done and all the places, all those things that, that would have on the outside, man, you would have been like, surely, Christian, genuinely, Christian. He later wrote in his journal uh, on uh, May the 24th, 1738, he wrote this, uh, he had met some, uh, let me, don't read it yet, uh, he met some Moravians, uh, Moravians was this group in America that that were dedicated to the reading of the word, to prayer, and to worship. And he met them, and he was amazed by their uh, spirituality, that there was something different he found in them. And he was amazed by it, and he, he went to the leaders, and after talking to one of their leaders, he began to realize, and that's where that, that statement came earlier, I don't think I'm a convert, true, truly. He writes in his journal, May the 24th, 1738, he says, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So there's this group, and he's kind of unwilling. I mean, think about it, failed missionary at this point. Convinced maybe I'm not even a Christian. He goes to this little group of Moravians, and their their, their service, their reading um, Martin Luther's, uh, the preface to the a commentary, and he's sitting there listening to this preface to this commentary. And he says, uh, about a quarter to nine, a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, something inside, he's listening to this commentary on, on Paul's epistle to the Romans. And man, what, what it really looks like and what, what this conversion thing looks like. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. 
I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Something different. And we know for the, from the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, some of you know, like, who's Paul Harvey? Uh, he, he told the rest of the story. But uh, we would know that John Wesley was a changed man after that. Not just something on the outside, but there was something deeper. Something on the inside. I want to give you a few other passages of Scripture that, that go along with this. I'll start with one of the, the ones that I use quite often. Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, you know what that, that day is that he's talking about? That, there, there's a day where all of us are going to stand before God. On that day, many will say to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, then will I declare to them, scariest verse in the Bible if you ask me, I will declare to them, these, these people, whoever these people are, Jesus is not just saying, this could happen. He's saying, this is going to happen. There is a day that this is going to happen. And there's going to be many, he said. And Jesus is going to look at this group of people who I think are shocked at what's happening. And he is going to say to them, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'll share with you another one. This next one is the one that, that cut to my heart. James 2.14. Um, I had said 100,000 times. I went to a Christian school. I'd been asked the question so many times, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely, I do. Do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely, I do. I had a math teacher one time that said, I don't think you do, but I, I didn't want to listen to him. Um, and, but I had people again and again. And then I read this. And, and I, I'm not a big promoter of the like, flipping the Bible and point. That's almost what I did. I was like, man, I'm just going to read the Bible for real. For I'm just going to read it. And I, by God's grace, turned to James chapter 2. And uh, the verse that stuck out, that popped off the page and smacked me in the face, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And I went, I'm sure some pastor at some point had quoted this. Never heard it. Kind of like those disciples. Never heard of them. Never heard it. What? Can that faith? So the, wait, there's a faith that didn't save? What? I thought faith saved. I don't understand. That faith, a faith that just simply says it. That faith save him? James goes on in, in chapter 2, verse 19, and says this. You believe, in, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I was a foundling Bible scholar when I was reading these, these words, and so I broke out my giant Strong's Concordance. We didn't have uh, the ability to look up the Greek words on the internet, and I broke out my Strong's Concordance and found this word. What's the Greek word that says believe here? Stuos, 
okay? John 3.16, that's the other one I know. Whoever believes, surely it's a different word. It must be different. Demons believe in Surely it's a different word. Nope, same word. I was cut to the heart. And I realized something was missing in this faith that I said that I had. Another passage that has been used by many comes from 1 John. 1 John gives some nice tests of examination to see if you're a true believer. Um, There's some tests in there that are doctrinal. Are you believing in Jesus? There's tests in there that are ethical. Are you doing what Jesus says? There's some tests in there that are experiential. Is the Spirit of God working in you? And that's where we're headed with this. Let me share just a couple of them. 1 John chapter 2. Just as plain as day, you can't get more plain than this. Whoever says, I know him, God, but does not keep his commandments, is a, say it out loud. Oof. Now wait a minute, what, what would have to be, the, in this context, what would have to be the lie? What's the only quote you see? I know him. The person says, I know him. I used to say, you know, you could, you could go to an insane asylum, and I don't know if they call them that anymore, but you could go to an insane asylum, and you could find somebody that might go, I am a duck. Probably could find somebody that, if they say it, does it make it true? No. What if they said in our day and age, what they said, I identify as a duck? Make him a duck? No. Man says, I know him. But does not do what he, com- what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. I'm going to skip down to 1 John 3 24. Kind of finishes this thought, and it says this. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. And there's a connection that's made. This keeping of the commandments isn't just about this outward thing. There's a keeping of the commandments that is done by the power of the spirit. I needed to have a good example to illustrate this. So I I went to Royal Donut. I have in these two bags, I have a donut in each bag. Um, move my stuff out of the way. One of them is a genuine certified jelly donut with raspberry filling, my favorite, from Royal Donut. One of them is not. When I left, I knew which one was which. Former student is the one that put them in the bags for me. One of these donuts is a fake. No jelly. No jelly on the inside. I'm sorry, John. Can you tell which one's which? Anybody? Just by looking at the bags? You got to see them. Okay. Let's take a look at them. Now, a good, now, I will say a good donut inspector like Paul the Apostle or today like me, he might start to say, I think something's different about these two just from the weight. I'm just going to tell you right now, just from the weight of them. 
I think that's what was going on in Ephesus. Paul met these disciples and he said, something's not quite right here. And so he starts investigating, like what we're getting ready to do. Let's open these bags up. Let's pull these babies out of here. All right, now I don't want to give away which one's which. A, a true jelly donut connoisseur will know um, which one is which. I hope I can avoid any clues that might give it away. Uh, I hope nobody's seen anything here. Let's see. Let's pull this one out. Can anybody see them yet? Oh, man, I'm getting powdered stuff all over the top of this. Okay, wait, wait. Make sure nothing's showing here that might give anything away. Okay. There we go. Okay. Now, don't cheat and try to sneak around back here. Let me slide these two things up here. Oh, my gosh, I have so much sugar on my podium right now. This is ridiculous. All right, so there, there they are. Now, some of you from the side, you might be able to see something peeking through. Is there stuff peeking through anywhere? Uh, it, can you see it? Oh, no. Is there some on the front? You cheaters. Experience. Experience. Oh, my gosh. Now, from the outside, still seem very similar, don't they? As I was pondering these jelly donuts, I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting what reveals the truth about the jelly donut. You know, life sometimes comes and takes a big bite of you, doesn't it? And what you're full of spills out. Or in the case of one of these donuts, what's lacking? I was trying to come down with some like real basic examples of what you might look for. But it, I'm going to tell you right now, it's varied. Some people, when life gets hard, that's when they come. Church, the Word of God, prayer. When life gets hard. But then when life gets back smooth, what happens? Go away. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not believe that is genuine Spirit of God regeneration. That's just a desperate person looking for something. It's interesting, though. Sometimes it's the other way around. I've known some people that have been in church every single time. Man, they, they got lots of powdered sugar on the outside. But when life gets hard and God doesn't do the things that they think he should do, life comes and takes a big bite out of them. There's no jelly there. Instead of coming closer, they leave. Why well, follow God? Only a true jelly donut connoisseur like Paul, Christian examiner. In fact, there's a place in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, where Paul actually tells the Corinthians, examine yourself, therefore, to see if you're genuinely of the faith. Now, in the case of our jelly donuts here, we may need to... It, now, I'll go ahead and do some little revelation here. If we just turn it around, you can start to see already, can't you? There's some jelly seeping out, isn't there? You know, I, I don't want to make this illustration stretch too far. But I do believe that if you're sitting here today and the Spirit of God is real in you, it's going to seep out. It's not just all show and powdered sugar on the outside. I think that a few of the ways that it shows itself, um, I'm just going to give you a few examples that come to out right off the top of my head. Faithfulness, I think, is one. We mentioned that with Ed. Faithfulness. 
huge. Personal relationship with Christ, huge. If it's just when things are going bad or just when things are going good, we call those, what, fair weather friends, right? That's not, that's not the real thing. Paul talks about in Ephesians, he says the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a seal to guarantee your inheritance. The, the illustration here is you think of an envelope that's sealed. How do I know this is the authentic thing? It's been sealed like the wax is dripped, the stamp has been made. And Paul says that the, the, the seal is the Holy Spirit. How, how do we see that? How do we see that? Do we see it just, it, it's, it's, is it just in what's on the outside? I think with a little bit of examination, each and every one of us, with just a little bit of examin- examination, can see what's real and what's fake, what's full of jelly and what's empty. I actually had them made this, make this this morning. I, a former student was there, she made it, and uh, I said, could I get one with just nothing in it? There isn't even like angel cream in here or something yummy. Just an empty donut. Now, since it's just you guys here today, a couple things might be running through your heads. One might be, man, am I, do, do I got the real thing? Do I got the jelly of the Spirit of God? Am I full of the Spirit? That's why I think it's interesting that Paul asked the question the way he did. He didn't just say, have you believed? He says, did you, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Amazing question. I think I'm going to start adjusting my question to that one more often. As I'm talking with people, have you received the Spirit when you believed? For many of us, we have evidence of that. Like I said, personal relationship. Reading the Scriptures. It's not just about show. It's not just about what's on the outside. It's you are desperately trying to know know God. It's working its way out in what you do. So you're kind to your brother or sister but it's not just for what you're going to get out of it. There's many people that do that, and Jesus even talked about it. They, even the people of the world, they're, they're, they're good to others for what's going to be returned back to them. But a Christian, someone with the Spirit of God, something's different. And there's this love for the brother. And that's what John talks about. Love for the brother. Love it. And, the, and the, the, the Spirit of God is manifested in you through these things. Like I said, your faithfulness, your dedication to these things. I think that one of the aspects that you might be thinking right now is, am I? I think that's good. I'm going to be honest with you. If you're not sitting here and you're not for sure, you're not, man, I'm seeing the Spirit of God work. You know, here's the thing about this. I cannot, or even more importantly, this donut cannot, neither one of these donuts, I mean, this one without the jelly can't be sitting here listening to me right now going, I need some jelly. He, can this donut make his own jelly and fill himself up? No. Same thing is true with us. When you sit there and you start to go, man, I don't know if I got the spirit working in me. I usually feel like I'm doing all this Christian stuff in my own strength. My only suggestion to you is to get on your knees before God and say, God, fill me with your spirit. I don't want to go through this life without that. Every day, cry it. Pray it. 
Lord, fill me with your spirit. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means. God, if you want to evidence it in some crazy way, you want to evidence it just in, in some other ways where I'm, I'm more faithful and more diligent and, more, and I'm striving to be more like you. Whatever way you want to manifest that in my heart, please, God, just do it. I need your spirit. Maybe you'll find that uh, when life comes along and takes a big bite, you find that there's nothing there of substance. You realize that? Man, get on your knees before God and say, Lord, just fill me up with your spirit. The real thing. The real thing. I think we should also take this with us. We have a lot of people at this church that struggle with these areas. And I know there's many of us that have said, and I've, I've heard it, and I've said it. Why can't these people just be more faithful? You know, why can't they just do that? Why can't, I'm going to tell you right now, this donut cannot make itself a jelly donut by willpower. What does this church and every church in this country need? I mean, we were just talking about this earlier. Uh, uh, I was talking with Charity about it. Um, Bible studies that she has. There's so many now where she'll have it and people don't come prepared. They, they, they don't do their homework in advance and read the scriptures and come prepared. It, it's so lacking. I see it all across the board. There's so many that are unwilling to dedicate themselves for the cause of Christ. It's just empty. And I'm telling you right now, that doesn't change by me getting up here going, you need to be better at doing this. Read your Bible more. Come on, brother. Is that how it happens? No. It's a miraculous thing, the Spirit. Jesus came and made it possible. I encourage you because I'm praying it for you. I'm praying it for myself. I spent this, you know, 30 minutes this morning just sitting there, God, you know, if, if I'm lacking in, in regard, would you fill me with your spirit even more so than what, what I mean, I don't, I don't want to be like one of these guys and go, I've never heard of him. Well, fill me with your spirit, whatever that looks like. You want me to speak in tongues, God, I'll do it. You want me to do something crazy, I'll do it. Or if you just want to make me steadfast, solid Christian that is dedicated even in, in the recesses of everybody's attention, when nobody knows what I'm doing and where I'm at, God, if you just want to just work in me faithfulness and dedication to following what you want, do it that way. Do it in all the ways. So I encourage you as well, when you leave this building today, you're walking out to your car, and you wake up tomorrow morning, the next morning, right before you go to bed, later on Thursday, whatever it is that you're doing this week, Every time it crosses your mind, say, Lord, just fill me with your spirit, whatever that looks like. I don't want to try to do this Christian life in my own strength because I will fail. But God, would you fill me with your spirit so I can look back on what I've done and how I've lived and say, that is supernatural. That's the spirit. That is not me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as I uh, close our time, I ask now that you would be with each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for those in this room that might be, even at this moment, thinking, I don't know if I got the real thing. God, I pray that even now, in this moment, they would just cry out to you and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit, God. Whatever that looks like, fill me up. God, there are some of us that maybe we've spent some time 
quenching the Spirit's work in our life. I pray that now we'd say, God, we're going to stop doing that. Lord, fill me up with your Spirit. Lord, we're like beggars looking for bread, but we know you are the one that hands it out freely. So, Father, I just ask that you would work this miracle of Spirit giving in this church this morning. Pray that each person in here would walk out of here filled with your Spirit, empowered by your Spirit, so that we can look at them and go, man, that's a real thing. They can look at themselves and go, man, that's the real thing. Pray that you'd help us as we go out into the world and we encounter others. Lord, we, many of us may encounter some 12 almost Christians like these disciples of John the Baptist who had some basic idea and were repentant, maybe. Lord, they were lacking the Spirit of God in their lives, lacking that supernatural element that set them apart. They were lacking that. Thank you, God, that you brought Paul into their lives to fill in that gap and tell them about Jesus, that they might believe genuinely in the true Messiah. Be filled with your Spirit. Pray that you help us to preach this gospel as we go out a real gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.